0: Welcome to Truth Unbound. I'm your host, Walter Swaim. And well, the fire has been lit again. And this happened just yesterday, that would be May 2nd, 2022. And uh, here's a clip that you can see here on the screen of a a document that was leaked. Uh, This would be historic, and it is obviously a big political move. But the point of it is, is that it shows uh, that the uh, the majority of the Supreme Court will indeed be uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. Now, we don't get any more detail than that up to this point, but there's the proof for it. It's It's been verified, supposedly it's legit, and it is going like wildfire everywhere. Now, the 30,000-foot view reveals quickly a leftist strategy here, meaning they leaked the ruling, which this was already a couple of months old. This happened in February when this was written. And with the possible prospect of the court overturning Roe v. Wade and the left panicking over that, they leaked the ruling to the world, therefore putting political pressure on the court members to keep the abortion law in place. And isn't it interesting that within just hours of this leak going out, there have been full-fledged protests happening right in front of the Supreme Court. Isn't that strange? Hmm. Now, the leak itself, the fact that it was leaked like this from the secrecy of the Supreme Court, as so it should be, is evil and wrong to have happened. And it corrupts the integrity of the court, regardless of how SCOTUS rules on this, for or against abortion in Roe v. Wade. But then in the middle of all this, well, comes along Tim Keller of Big Eva, And much of his left-leaning, liberal leanings and upbringing are revealed in what he says. And he's done that more increasingly so in the last couple of years. And it should be alarming to us for any Christian leader to be not only this vague, but also this aloof about the moral impact of abortion and how believers should respond to it or not respond to it. Oh, I am just getting started. Let's go. Well, Once again, welcome to Truth Unbound. I'm Walt Swaim. Welcome to the conversation and commentary from God's Word and how it's applied to today's issues. Now, if you're ready for more of this, as soon as it comes out and you wanted to spread uh, the unbound truth of God, if you will, to spread to more people, then would you click like, uh, hitting all notifications, by the way, and uh, subscribe to the channel, follow, share each podcast with as many people as you can, and uh, I am so humbled that you would do that. And we're doing this together. So let's get this started. Ready? Let's go. Okay, so we're going to jump right on in here uh, with the tweets that Tim Keller has just put out in the last couple of days or so. Uh, It truly is alarming and disappointing to see somebody who has been a minister of the gospel supposedly uh, for so long yet be so far off the biblical mark, and intentionally so, as it, that's, at least that's how it appears. And so let's look, uh, let's look at it up close, okay? Now, first I want you to notice something. See if you pick up on it, and I will intentionally emphasize certain words or phrases to point it out, okay? So here's what he says, look here. Sigh. people are focusing on the example, abortion is physical harm, and not the principle. You can do the same object lesson about gay marriage. Why codify that moral in law and not others? We allow that terrible sin to be legal. But if you ask them if Americans should be forbidden by law to abort a baby, they'd say yes. Now why make the first sin legal and never talk about it, and the second sin illegal, and a main moral political talking point? At the very least, it shows a lack of knowing how to apply the Bible to politics. Yes, the purpose of the thread was to see both the inconsistency in how we apply biblical morals to law and how Christians and everyone can have the same morals, but different opinions on the policies that execute those morals. Many don't want to have that convo, it seems. To be clear, The thread was not about debating abortion, but rather to see both the inconsistency in how we apply biblical morals to law and how Christians can have the same morals, but different opinions on the policies that execute those morals. The replies sadly proved my point. I recently wrote about how churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. The replies show that many American evangelicals have no coherent understanding of how to relate the Bible to politics. Now, the first thing that should concern you is the undercurrent to the issue that he brings up, and that is the arrogance, okay? The sigh, oh, American Christians just don't know. They don't know how to do it and those kind of things, is what he keeps saying there. It's as though you and I are just dumb. We don't know what we're talking about. It's an arrogance, and it's very much a characteristic of what we call Big Eva, or the the big prominent leaders of evangelicalism out there in the Western world, specifically in America, uh, that, are, that are always there and uh, pontificating, if you will, about their opinions, even though they tend to be more left-leaning and liberal instead of more biblical now this is an example of what peter jude and paul wrote about in their letters those books of the bible that they wrote and that is the arrogance of false teachers now is tim keller a false teacher some would say yes some would say no but go read those letters and over time compare the characteristics of what they describe as both the teaching and manners of false teachers and I'll let you make that judgment. But that kind of arrogance of the sigh, and you just don't get it should be a major red flag as to what he really thinks of you and me. But let's get back to the main issue he brings up himself. Uh, Churches must not maintain unity at the expense of the gospel. Churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. But let's get to the main issue he brings up himself. Okay, Let let me reread what he says quoting from his tweet. Churches must not maintain unity at the expense of the gospel. Churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. Here are two biblical moral norms. One, it is a sin to worship idols or any God other than the true God. And two, do not murder. If you ask evangelicals if we should be forbidden by law to worship any other God than the God of the Bible, they'd say no. We allow that terrible sin to be legal. But if you ask them if Americans should be forbidden by law to abort a baby, baby they'd say yes. Now, why make the first sin legal and never talk about it and the second sin illegal and a main moral political talking point? At the very least, it shows a lack of knowing how to apply the Bible to politics. Since we can't simply say, if the Bible says it's sin, it should be illegal, how do we choose which morals to politically champion? Please don't say, I just want to see the Ten Commandments made law in society. That's too simplistic, and we don't do this already. The Bible tells us that idolatry, abortion, and ignoring the poor are all grievous sins. But it doesn't tell us exactly how we are to apply these norms to a pluralistic democracy. We are to help the poor, but the Bible doesn't tell us which political strategy, high taxes and government services versus low taxes and private charity to use. The Bible binds my conscience to love the immigrant, but it doesn't tell me how many legal immigrants to admit to the U.S every year i know abortion is is a sin but the bible doesn't tell me the best political policy to decrease or end abortion in this country nor which political or legal policies are most effective to that end the current political parties will say that their policy most aligns morally with the bible but we are allowed to debate that and so our churches should not have disunity over debatable political differences. It is also why I have never publicly or privately told Christians who they should vote for. I have also never told anyone they should vote Democrat or Republican. Depending on the policy, we can find more or less alignment with biblical morals. I believe... All Christians should be active in politics, but it, is, but it is unwise to identify Christianity with any particular party. And then he says, sigh, people are focusing on the example. Abortion is physical harm and not the principle. You can do the same object lesson about gay marriage. Why codify that moral in law and not others? All right, so let's take this one piece at a time. So his number one contention is, don't divide the church over petty little political disagreements. Well, Tim, I don't think that abortion is a petty little political agreement. Let's remember Genesis 9-6, which says, Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. Now, I don't know what about that is hard to understand because abortion at its core, before we enter into any of the other connected issues, abortion was, is, and always will be the killing, the intentional murder of a baby inside or outside of the womb. It doesn't matter. It's the premeditated destruction of someone made in the image of God. And God is clear about that. It's not hard. That means that this is not an argument over Differences in property taxes, how they should be collected or not, the electoral college, or how many angels dance on the head of a pin. This is a fundamental legal limit placed by God on the act of murdering any human being at any time, period. It's not more complicated than that. I've had that discussion with people such as, well, you can't legislate morality. But that's what legislation is. And yes, we can do it, and we do do it. And you and I depend on it every moment of the day to protect you and your family and your property. Right is right, wrong is wrong, and there are consequences to violating those laws. And every law has a moral element to it to one degree or another. Otherwise, it's just a suggestion. It's just a guideline of procedure that you can go with or leave out. But then Keller says this, quote, but the Bible doesn't tell me the best political policy to decrease or end abortion in this country, nor which political or legal policies are most effective to that end, end of quote. In other words, yeah, God says it's a sin and all that, but he doesn't say what to do about it, so just leave it be and let God do what he wants with them. Stop right there, go back to Genesis 9:6. The verse is not an opinion or suggestion. It's a divine decree. That's not changed. Where he delegates to man to administrate this, if a person takes a human life, then there are to be serious consequences and judgment to be carried out by legitimate legal human authorities on the one who murders another individual. Doesn't say, well, babies don't count. The baby in the womb is another individual, and it is a felony. It's a high crime in reality. So in this case, Tim, yes, God has clearly laid out what we are to do morally and legally as regards murder of another human being. The changes theologically and practically from theocracy to human government, etc., don't change this. It is not a conditional law you can throw out at a, another time in human history saying it it isn't relevant or doesn't relate in the same way or isn't required anymore. So Tim, you're clearly wrong here. Okay, buddy? Now, let's move on to the next point. To summarize, he is saying also that we don't make one of the, every one of the Ten Commandments a law, and shouldn't. That you can't codify into law everything God calls a sin. Now, I know a tweet can only hold so many letters, and you can't really give your fullest explanation, but Keller brings up this issue, but yet still happens to make it too simplistic even for a tweet. When this part of his argument is actually much more complex in the Bible. But we will simplify it the best we can here. Now, it's an obvious fact that not all sins that God lists are made into laws against them for today. We can agree on that. But then Keller goes on to pontificate that we just don't get it. We don't get how the laws in the Bible work and don't work in society today. Uh, The reality is he is the one showing a very lack of knowledge of how it all works theologically and practically. And again, this is due to a lot of his training as a Christian in more liberal theological circles, a pseudo-Christian thinking that is actually socialist in ideology. My guess is he does know, but his leftist spiritual upbringing uh, just won't let him surrender to that knowledge. But moving on. The reason we don't apply every commandment in the Bible is because there are obvious differences in them. And remember, Keller says we got to be consistent here, so let's do that. So to be consistent, don't just talk about the original 10 commandments. If you want to go the full way, then we need to include all 613 of the commandments that God prescribed for Israel. So what are those differences? All right, so difference number one, God gave the laws to Israel first. Look, they were fresh out of hundreds of years of being told what to do as slaves in Egypt and did not know how to be a people of their own, a nation of their own. God literally had to shape them and mold them as a nation out of scratch and developing sanitary, dietary laws, relationship laws, moral and criminal and legal issues into laws and more. And so some simply apply just to them to set them apart as a light to the world and have a higher way and standard of living than other ungodly nations. We also do not live under a theocracy like Israel did. A theocracy is when God is directly calling the shots. No human government is involved. But God stopped doing theocracy long ago and will do it again in the future kingdom on earth. He will establish himself, but not for now. Second difference. God gave different levels of moral severity within the law. All sin is an equal offense before God, but not all sin has the same impact on each other. God laid out different levels of severity of punishments equal to the sin's impact to another human being. One other thing about this part. Some laws, mainly we're talking now of the religious and ceremonial laws, were for the Jew alone and as well for the convert to Judaism. Uh, and their faith in God only. As God changed how he reached out his salvation to mankind, what we call dispensations in theology, some of these laws changed or were made invalid by the new way God was dealing with man. The biggest example of this is the Sabbath, or resting on Saturdays. But Jesus came, died, rose again, and the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our Sabbath. He is our rest. So the ceremonial law of honoring that day of the week was dismissed or shifted to honoring and resting our souls in Jesus. So Jesus, the Son of God himself, changed all that, and it was his, God's plan, to do so. Now lastly, Tim Keller says this, quote, It is also why I have never publicly or privately told Christians who they should vote for. I have also never told anyone they should vote Democrat or Republican. Depending on the policy, we can find more or less alignment with biblical morals. I believe all Christians should be active in politics, but it is unwise to identify Christianity with any particular party." Now, in part, I agree. Christianity should not be beholden to any political party at all. We belong to God. No Christian should be beholden as well to a political party. In other words, should not be controlled by or give control of their ideas and beliefs and life over to that party such as you see with the Communist Party. God is not a part of any political party. He is above and beyond any and all of that. And that was demonstrated one time when they tried to entrap Jesus in a political tax argument, and he came back saying, give Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's, and he walked off. Now, if tomorrow it were the Democrats endorsing Judeo-Christian values and Republicans rejecting them, then most Christians would be moving over to ending up being Democrats. (laughs) The party and its name is really immaterial here. That is just a social shift that is normal, that always changes over time for a myriad of reasons. At the same time, this is the first time in mankind's history where Christians can participate fully in the political process, and they have the freedom to do so and should, just as long as it, it is their values uh, given to them by God, guiding their judgment and their vote, and not the party line. For instance, I pastor a church here in the Houston area of Texas, and I will not allow political, political party signs to, to be placed on our property or have a candidate even come and speak in our services from either side to remain neutral. Now, we will preach God's truth as it applies to today and today's issues without reservation or apology, but We will not endorse particular candidates as a church body and leadership. That is each person's personal choice between them and God, and they have to bear the consequences or the blessings of it, respectively, either way. I add this as well. Keller bringing up that last point, uh, it's really a straw man argument. Uh, It is few and far between of any believer who would seriously say, you're not a Christian if you're not a Republican, for instance. That's just... It doesn't exist like that. There's a forgettable minority out there that may say that and do. I've heard it here and there. But most believers just love God, their country, and they're trying to conserve those values it was and is founded on. And yes, doing so honors God being good stewards of the truth God has given us and the responsibility to be a salt and light of the gospel and of God's righteousness in all areas of life, including politics. Tony Evans once said, we must be careful not to drape the cross with the American flag, thus confusing the American dream and civil religion with the kingdom of God. And I certainly agree. The gospel and making of disciples is our first work and only true mission as believers, not to change America. We only really change America through leading others to follow Jesus. But Let's be reminded of this, and you can see uh, this podcast I did on this subject particularly. uh, I'll put the link in the description to it, or it may be suggested above here in this video if it's on YouTube. And that is that a follower of Christ is transformed in his or her thinking, like it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where he says, Do not be conformed to this world, starting in verse 1. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so in verse 1, it's telling us we're not to be shaped by the world and its thinking and its behavior, but be shaped by the truth and life of Jesus through the Holy Spirit's presence and work in our spirit, our soul, in our life. And this means that we will believe and obey God's truth concerning even abortion. We surrender old worldly ideas to the higher and holy ideas of God, which includes the truth that all human beings are living human beings and persons made in the image of God from the moment they're conceived. Inside or outside the womb, each person is to be loved and protected by the mother, by the parents, by the family, and cared for by them or by caring people who willingly take on the responsibility of being their parents through adoption. No believer with the love of God commanding their life can truly believe in aborting a baby. It would be direct disobedience to God. They might be followers of Jesus, but walk in disobedience to the love and law of God when it comes to the ending of a life of a baby in the womb. Thanks to the local Church of God, there are more than 2,500 pregnancy help centers in the U.S. compared to 800 abortion facilities. So whether the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade or not, God has the life of that child in his hands, and he has made us the righteous agents of change and lights of the righteousness, love, and mercy of God to all people, wherever we are at and live. So let's stand up for life. Let's give life. Let's support life. And can I add this? If you are listening to this or watching this, you've had an abortion or seriously thinking about doing it, here's a number to call to get to help. Please reach out and get the help that you need. It is out there, and loving people are ready to help you through this this deep time of this maybe unwanted or undesired pregnancy. God loves you no matter what you've done, and you can ask him for forgiveness of your sin, all of it, and he will forgive because he died for that sin. He paid the price for your sin for you. Will you open your heart to Jesus today? The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so will you take that moment right now and tell God, oh God, I'm a sinner before you. I realize that and I also realize and believe that you're the only answer. You are God. You died for my sin. You rose again from the dead. I believe in you. Will you receive me, save me, forgive me? I'm yours. And then tell God, amen. Thank you, God, and amen. Well, hey, if you don't mind, please don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and share with everyone you can, each podcast, and so that more of us can hear the truth of God and know Jesus. I hope this has been of help to you to understand this issue, and I hope uh, let's pray for those. Uh, Let's pray for those in the Supreme Court. Let's pray for those who govern us, even if they don't agree with us, to pray for them, that their hearts will be changed and directed by God, and that they would be convicted and turned to the Lord for salvation, and pray for the protection of the unborn. Well, thank you again for joining me here, and remember, follow Jesus, because when you follow Jesus, what do I always say? You'll always follow the truth. Until next time.